0: This is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. All right, we have a brand new series today called Sunday is Not Enough. Listen, with this series, I want to take us back a little bit, back to the, the basics, the roots of what the church is meant to be. One of the nice things about... Seasons of change, which we've all gone through a huge season of change over the past year and a half. The nice thing about seasons of change is that we get to reinvent the wheel a little bit, right? We, we get to look at everything we do and say, is this still worth it? Is it still right? Does this still serve the greater purpose, right? We get to examine things a little bit in, in seasons of shakeup, and I think throughout the covid season especially we learned those of us that are still here have learned that sunday is still necessary at that sunday morning church that that weekly gathering at the beginning of the week is necessary even when it was only online right maybe some of you are still online only watching from home y- you know how necessary it is that that First thing of the week, to hear someone else's take on the word, right? Hear an encouragement to overcome sin or temptation or to step up in discipleship or repent and turn back to God in a certain area. It's necessary, right? To to worship together in a big setting like this is inspiring. It reminds you that other people are out there that believe and are passionate too, it reminds you just how small you are in, such a, in front of such a big, amazing, powerful God. It reminds you just how much you need Him. At least it always does for me. Just how much I need Him. Like, I don't deserve Him. I don't deserve to be there, arms held high in surrender, worshiping Him with everything I have. I get to. In fact, it's the reason why I worship him because I don't deserve it. And he welcomes me in any way. The discipline and practice of worshiping together is necessary Like to talk to others, soul friendship, to get to know other people, to be encouraged by their stories, to somehow comfort someone else or be there for someone else. Vulnerable and and open about what I'm struggling with to have other people care enough to pray over me. I was struck when Fred shared his testimony via video. He said, "One of the things that struck me most about your testimony was you said no one had ever prayed over me before, before coming here." As a pastor's kid, that just I was blown away by that. Growing up in the church, everybody prays over you all the time, but no one had ever prayed. We get to do that. For people. Maybe nobody's ever prayed over them. But we get to talk to others, pray over others. It's powerful when we get to do that. We get to serve other people with our gifts and talents, things that God has put within us. They're not meant for us or just us. They're meant to overflow onto other people to model the life of Jesus and, and sacrifice the Sunday morning holding little ones in the back. To serve parents by holding little ones, or to get up early and make coffee, or to clean a bathroom, or run a vacuum, even when no one else sees, God sees, or to run a camera so that people at home can hear the word too, or or play drums when you'd rather play guitar and sing, where's Tommy, (laughs) right? Right? To serve the church is a powerful, life-changing thing. Serving others, in fact, is probably one of the most Jesus-like things you can do. Just sacrificing your own opinions, your own preferences to serve the church. It's life-changing, world-changing things that Jesus did. Can you imagine how many world-changing things Jesus did that weren't written down? His three years of ministry and even before. Imagine how many things he set in motion just by serving other people 2,000 years ago that we don't even know about. God saw them. And I bet they were all in service of others on behalf of his father. We get to accomplish something together here, too. I'm going over the five purposes of the church. We get to accomplish something together, to be on mission with each other towards something, to send 28 kids to youth camp. It's an amazing thing when they couldn't afford it, or or another 13 kids, FE kids' kids are going next week. I think there's $100 left on that one, by the way. But to see students receiving Jesus in that way, to know that you all were a part of sending them, to see FE youth reach their $5,000 speed the light goal, by the end of this year. You know, we're on mission together. We get to do things together that we could never do on our own. To see baptisms like we saw today and to be a part of that. To attend a home group consistently and, and over time see the growth and changes in other people. To cheer each other on. Be on mission together is so important. These are the purposes of the church and it all happens around or on Sunday morning. Sunday is the hub. The anchor of all of it. But Sunday alone is not enough. See, before Jesus came, Sunday was not the typical Sabbath we think of. We think of Sunday as sort of our Sabbath today, but it wasn't when Jesus came. In fact, Saturday was actually the Sabbath. And Jews had very specific and very rigid laws. Laws, not preferences, not uh, traditions, laws about that Sabbath. Not all of it was God-ordered through Moses, you know, because the Pharisees had sort of made it their mission over the years to add and add and add lots of extra laws and to police it as well. They made that their mission. Sabbath became more of a day of stress almost for the average person than rest because they had to be so careful about what they did and what they did not do. So how did we get to Sunday? How did Sunday become The day we have church. Why is Sunday now the Lord's Day? Have you heard it called that? Well, Sunday is Jesus' day. Jesus is actually the short answer of how it changed. The long answer, but I guess it's not really that long, is that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. In fact, the wee hours of the morning on Sunday, right? The Bible says that he rose before daybreak on the first day of the week. That's why we started celebrating on Sunday. Sunday... Is Jesus' day? It's the Lord's day. The origins of the church started in this way. The early church invented, thank you, Fred, invented Sunday morning gathering and celebration. Not Jews, Christians. But does the church of today resemble the early church? we're going to see. In fact, we're going to read Acts 2, verse 41 through 47 today to look at the early church. And this will actually be the framework for this series or the basis for this series. Verse 41, Acts 2, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. This is the day of Pentecost Jesus died, rose again, ascended back into heaven, and the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. Three thousand people were added to the church that day. And verse 42 says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. The early church I'm reading about wasn't just a Sunday morning church. The early church was an everyday kind of church. It was a community. In fact, the believers form a community is the heading of this passage in my Bible. The believers form a community. It was a community. It was a family, a group of people committed to Jesus and to each other. So committed that it ran through everything they did everything they did it affected their time it affected who they hung out with it affected their livelihood their their homes their budgets and check checkbooks it, it affected everything it wasn't just about the temple anymore god moved out into homes among people where two or th- more are gathered there i am right It's not just about the temple. It's not just about Sunday. They didn't give up the temple, notice. They kept going to temple on Saturdays, but also met Sunday morning. It was everything. It was a lifestyle. And I think that's how Jesus meant it to be. The temple was a given. Church and Christianity today should be a given. But like everything else, Jesus deepened it. He didn't abolish the law. He didn't get rid of all of the past stuff. He deepened it. He came to fulfill the law, not throw it out the window. But you know what? We're going to read it from his own very words. In fact, throughout this series, we're going to be focusing on the Sermon on the Mount. It'll be a blueprint, as well as Acts 2, over the next few weeks. Uh, We are going to be starting a new Bible plan as well. One that I wrote, not on on newversion.com, but one that I have made. And we're going to spend time reading and studying the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' own words. It's two chapters in Matthew, or three chapters in Matthew, Matthew 5 through 7. I want to show you exactly what Jesus did when he came. What I mean by he deepened the law. The teachers of religious law, the men... The people were supposed to be learning about God from, only ever taught about religion. They only ever taught about what to do in the temple. Jesus taught about life, everyday life, how to treat your neighbor, not just the priest, what to do when someone wrongs you. All of these things he covers. It's not just about the temple anymore. It's not just about Sunday. It's about how we live our lives, how we push Sunday down through every other day of the week. I want to show you what I mean by this on this very first day of Sunday is not enough. By pulling out just a few passages from the Sermon on the Mount to kick us off with this. Number one, Jesus, he talks about our emotions, teaches us. It's not just about our actions anymore. It's not just about what other people can see but also about what God sees underneath. Matthew 5, 21 says, You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Strong words from Jesus. Radical words from Jesus. In fact, the original word used, the NLT says idiot, and some versions say fool. The original word used meant more like something worthless. Something without worth. That's not the heart of the father. It's not the heart of Jesus. He said, it's no longer about actions. It's about heart change, life change. What is your attitude toward other people? Jesus wasn't just after our religion, how we look on the outside, how we worship God specifically. He was after our hearts. It's not just about how to control your actions anymore. He's calling us to do even better than that, to humility, to genuinely thinking of others as better than ourselves, to not looking at other people as worthless or idiots, fools, to genuinely love others, not just in action, but with your whole heart, to actual self-sacrificing love like he showed us. He taught about our emotions. He also taught about our bodies, teachers of religious law probably never touch these subjects. Matthew 5, 27. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, Causes you to sin. Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Radical. Crazy. Right? Just don't. Don't you love, though, how Jesus makes lust a personal problem, not the world's problem? Like growing up, my dad... who who used to be the pastor here, he started this church, he he would always tell stories about how sometimes a man would come to him and say, usually in the summer, you know, you should really preach a sermon on how girls should dress. can't believe they would wear these things in church. And dad would just respond with, "Mm, your lust isn't their problem. Your lust isn't their problem. Adultery isn't a physical needs problem. It's a heart problem. The world wants to paint sex as a physical need. We need it to live. We don't need sex to live. Your body just wants it. It doesn't mean you need it. This is why Christians fast, by the way. We fast food. We fast from things our body tells us that it needs. But we get to tell it what it needs. Like when you fast, you understand the difference. Your body tells you it needs all kinds of things. It doesn't. It doesn't need that snack at midnight. It tells you it does. It doesn't. It doesn't need that second Krispy Kreme. It tells you it does. But it doesn't. Just because your body tells you it needs something doesn't mean it's healthy for you to have it. This is radical teaching from Jesus. Because sometimes you have to get radical to get rid of sexual sin. Things your body tells you it needs. Hey, you struggle with pornography? Give your laptop away. Donate it to Freedom Valley. We need like four of them right now. I'll wipe it clean first. But just saying. Hey, you watch it on your phone? Get a flip phone. You don't need a smartphone. Well, I need it for work, do you? Do you? Put a desktop in your kitchen where everybody can see. You can work there. Right? Get radical with it. Cut off the thing that is causing you to sin. It's better to live without it than live with what you're living with. You're not willing to cut off the enabling device because you're not ready to let it go yet. You're only as sick as your secrets. Confess it. Deal with it. You'll be healthier for it. Jesus' teaching is radical. The Jews, the the teachers of religious law taught about what we do divorce and adultery. Jesus taught about our hearts. Are your hearts actually turned toward God? Are you just pretending on Sunday? He also taught about our words. Matthew five thirty three. you have also heard that our ancestors, ancestors were told you must not break your vows, you must carry out the vows you made to the Lord, but I say, do not make any vows, do not even say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne, and don't say by earth, because the earth is his footstool, and don't say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king, do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black, just say a simple, yes I will. Or no, I won't. Because anything beyond this is from the evil one. What? Radical. I can't even say I promise. Right? Or, I swear, I'll do it, I swear. What is wrong with that, Jesus? Anything beyond that is from the evil one because it means you aren't living the type of life where people can believe your word. If you have to swear for someone to believe you, What else is going on? It means you've been deceitful, maybe in the past, or lazy in the past, or well-intentioned, but not living up to your end. Not living up to your word. Jesus is calling you to more. It's more than just about your good intentions now. It's more. There isn't just a sacrifice, some, some penance you do. He wants you to actually live it. Live it. Be the kind of person people can trust. Do what you say you're going to do. Number four, he talks about our religion. People like to say, I even like to say, occasionally, it's not so much a religion, it's more of a relationship. But there are some pieces of religion in Christianity. Some things Jesus held on to. The religion Jesus taught was way more personal than professional. He, He Taught that it wasn't for show, but for self. Between you and God, pray in private, and God will reward you. Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. This is one that might not sound so radical to us, because honestly, more Christians today are used to praying in private than in public. Some, most of us probably are a little scared of praying in public because it sounds very, um, I'm hearing an echo of myself. Yeah. <laughs> that was just an odd experience. Um, I think most of us are a little scared of praying in public actually, but they didn't used to be. The Pharisees would loudly pray on the street corners, very proud of their prayers because it made them feel more spiritual than others but what surprised me in this verse it says then your father who sees everything will reward you now, I never personally have thought much about prayer being something to be rewarded for it's something I should do it's a conversation between me and God it's healthy for me puts my eyes back on him he already knows what I need but it causes me to look to him as my source and and Good for me. Is that my reward? But our answers to prayer is a reward of some kind. right? And I think he'll recognize when you actually see him as your source. Not work, not spouse, not yourself. Him. He says the same thing about fasting. In verse 18, do it in private. Don't boast about how spiritual you are. Oh, I'm fasting. I'm like... So annoyed today. This one we do do. We we do this one. I'm fasting. I haven't had my coffee today. Don't mind me. Is that how we should fast? Or should you make sure that you are extra kind even when you haven't had your coffee? Right? Isn't that more what fasting is about? I've literally heard people say, oh, I can't fast because I did it once and I was just so mean to the people around me. I was so mean to my family that's not a reason not to do it <laughs> you do it anyway and you correct your attitude that is how you fast <laughs> don't let people see that you're doing it it's between you and God it's an exercise in controlling that attitude controlling your emotions she said it's not about the actual action it's about what you learn from it That's the reward God will give you. Other people's admiration is the only reward you're going to get if that's what you're going for. And isn't that a shallow reward? Is that why you're doing it? get the reward from other people? Are you doing it to actually learn something? This is not empty religion Jesus teaches. It's not just Sunday. It's every day how are we living our lives? The fifth one Jesus teaches in, in this long sermon from the mount, Matthew 6:22. It's actually in a section about our money, but listen to what he says. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. On the surface, does this sound like it's about money? Sounds like it's light and darkness, right? But I think it's actually about greed. What we think we need to be happy our eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light, but when it's unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness and if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is things the new car, the new iPad the brand new whatever the perfect house with the picket fence is not it's not going to do it Right? This is not it is deep darkness that we think is light. It causes us to get trapped in this cycle of shame and sadness. We can't go after that. As Christians, we shouldn't be about that. Why does Jesus include these verses smack in the middle of a money teaching? Because we think we're made secure by money. We think we're made whole. We think if I can just get to that next paycheck, then I'll be happy. If, if I can just get this much in my savings account, then I'll be secure. Money is your God, not Jesus. Yes, even as Christians, we do this. So many people, I, if I, I'll just, once I get this promotion, then I'll tithe. No, you won't. You wanted to, you would now. If your heart was obedient to God, you would now. Because there will never be enough. Never going to be enough. How deep that darkness is. Jesus's teachings are radical. Have I said that enough yet? It's not just about Sunday. It's about every single day. It's a deep ball. Oh. It's a deepening of the law. He came to fulfill it, to deepen it, to make it whole. He also talked about how we judge other people. Matthew 7, 1 says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. just want to let that one sink in for a second. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. I also hear a common complaint is I just feel like everybody's judging me. Because you're judging others. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. There is this amazing thing that happens with grace. When we give others grace, they give it back. It's magical. It's amazing. It's supernatural. It's reciprocal. And when you judge others... They will judge you back. It's just how God ordered the universe. It's how humanity works. Do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. The Pharisees were famous for their judgments. In fact, the, the common person in Jesus' day would sort of walk on the other side of the street they would straighten up a little bit the, the women would pull up their scarves over their head. I mean they, they had to act a certain way in front of the pharisees because the pharisees were the makers of the law the enforcers of the law the police they would literally get in trouble if they weren't following every single thing to the letter the pharisees were proud of it and forced it on other people judged other people loudly If they had Facebook back then. But I see Christians today doing this. Loudly on Facebook, all over their profile page, it's judgment. Pretending that it's love. It's disgusting. It's harmful to the gospel message, actually. It makes people want to run away. Click unfollow, in this case. Right, walk on the other side of the street because nobody wants to be judged. They want to feel loved. Jesus came to love. He was the only one qualified to judge us and he chose not to. He chose to die for us instead. He deepened the law. Can you see how all of this is about our hearts? Yes, about our actions. About what we do but it's about where it comes from. Faith without works is dead. So Your works have to follow the faith, but we're not talking about works-based salvation here. This is grace. We accept grace, we accept forgiveness, and so we give it to others. The last one, there are many more subjects Jesus covers in the Sermon on the Mount, as we're going to find out together in this Bible plan, but Jesus talks a lot about our behavior the golden rule is in there. Did you know the golden rule was Jesus' words? It still amazes me how much it's in schools. They do unto others as you would have them do to you. Be kind to others. They'll be kind to you. What would you like to have done to you in this case? You do It's the golden rule. It's everywhere. We, as Christians in America today, we want to complain about how prayer is taken out of schools. But you would be amazed how much of Jesus' word Nobody says it's Jesus' words. But it's in there. The golden rule is on like every classroom. It's his words. It's about our behavior, how we treat other people. There's also a section about trees and fruit. Talking about false prophets. We examine them with their fruit. What are they producing in their life? Not what is shown on a stage or, you know, on social media. or Some people... You know, I have a skepticism about um, very famous leaders sometimes or even like YouTube prophets and things like that because you can't know their fruit. You can't know. You don't know them personally. Not that everything that they say must be false, but there should be a healthy skepticism there because you can't see the fruit. What's going on in their life behind the curtain? Jesus said we have to judge prophets by their fruit. It's like a tree. If it produces good fruit, they're probably a healthy tree. It's about our behavior. We we can judge others by their behavior, not that we pass judgment, but we can use wisdom. The, The gospel is so much not this or that. Um, Natural or supernatural. um, Wisdom or miracles. Faith, you know? It's this and that. It is both. Jesus is so practical and so supernatural. Spiritual at the same time. He gives us both. He also talks about true disciples of his. True disciples. Meaning that there are some false disciples that don't live this out. What does a true disciple look like? A true disciple actually does the will of his father. They don't just cry, Lord, Lord, when they need him. Lord, Lord. But Jesus says, I never knew you. You said, Lord, Lord, but I never knew you. True disciples actually do the will of my father. They Don't just come to church and raise their hands and then forget about it the rest of the week. They actually... To the will of the Father. Look, we're going to read through these things in depth over the next couple weeks. 19 days actually starting. 18 days starting tomorrow. This Bible plan. And just to be real honest with you all, when we were in, in lockdown or some version of COVID isolation, we did awesome with Bible plans. So many of you did Bible plans. You were engaged. You were commenting every day. You were reading the stuff. It felt so helpful. And I get it. There's other things to focus on now, but if there was ever a Bible plan to lean into, let it be this one. We don't do these very often where I'm calling the whole church to it. Please do this one with me. Read Jesus's actual words. Early on in ministry, he made it a point to say these specific things, and we have his actual words written down for us. If you truly believe Jesus is the Son of God, if you truly believe that the word is powerful, you'll read it. You'll understand that God speaks through it. Every summer, we go back over our values and we dig into our mission statement as a church. Right? We've done church camp in the past, um, this year, we're going to be pushing Sunday down through everything we do. Sunday isn't enough. Not for true Jesus followers. We're, we're making following Jesus a life mission, not just a Sunday mission. We're changing not just what we do on Sunday mornings, but every morning. We are a vibrant, passionate, selfless church. Vibrancy is single-minded, active, fun, bold, dynamic life worship of God. It's not just here on Sunday morning. It's everything we do. Passion is, is obedience. Passionate disciples obediently pursue more of God. Obedience feeds passion. Passion feeds obedience. So when you see the principles of God work in your life, you get passionate about it more, give him more, do more. Obedience feeds passion. Passionate disciples pursue more of God. Selfless disciples are willing to sacrifice comfort to demonstrate the love of Jesus. We are vibrant. We are passionate. We are selfless and we change the world with the message of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is who God has called us to be. To accomplish all of that. Because none of these things are particularly about what we do, they're about who we are. You can be an electrician, that's what you do. It says nothing about the kind of person that you are. You can do a, a trade to make money for your job and be vibrant, passionate, and selfless. You can be a mechanic, a, a teacher, a lawyer, a nurse. Those are things that you do. Jesus taught us to be who he is. To go into the world and preach, to be in the world, but of something different. As one of my favorite preachers, Terry Daniel says, Sunday is not enough. Is it necessary? Absolutely. Yes. Can I be who God has called me to be without it? You cannot. But it's not enough to be all God has created you to be. Jesus taught an all-consuming faith. An all-consuming religion. It's not just about tasks and to-do lists and and our actions anymore. It's behavior. It's from the heart. Heart Heart-based change. That comes from within, not from without. The early church followed the teachings of the apostles because the apostles were teaching what they heard from Jesus. The apostles were echoing his words. You can see their behavior following that of the Sermon on the Mount. trying desperately to live the life Jesus was calling them to live sharing meals in each other's homes caring for the poor selling their own possessions and giving them to the poor meeting in each other's homes daily adding to their number daily they believed and therefore they changed they believed and therefore they behaved differently Believers let their light shine for all to see. And God added to their number daily. It wasn't just on Sunday because it's who they were. Not just what they did. Their whole lives reflected the character, the lordship, the attitude of Jesus. They lived their lives with others in the world, with others, but of something different. They were vibrant, passionate, selfless. And people like that are never alone. Their lives are attractive. People want to see why you're so different. Why you're not selfish and dull and angry at the world. Believe today with all of you, with everything. Let Sunday inspire you to do more and live it out truly. To be devoted to him the other six days of the week too let your worship be a life worship, a whole consuming worship, a truly life changing lifestyle. Today, some of us just need to repent. You know, we, we were good at doing our weekly devotions, our daily prayer time with God when we were stuck in the house all day, but life got busy again. And We're focused on other things. We've been holding out maybe we're not being radical enough in the removal of selfishness in our lives. We just have to repent. Turn back to him, Sunday is not enough is a reminder that it's every day of the week. Yes, you showed up today. anymore. You're here. So I have to believe that you are. But it's not just Sunday. I, I, we are in a weird season as a church. The past couple of weeks we have seen supernatural attacks might be too strong of a word, but the enemy is checking us out. Maybe you're experiencing some attacks in your life. I think that's because God is preparing us. He's calling us to step up, to make this truly not just religion, but a relationship to deepen it in our lives. Yeah, we can follow all of the rules. We can show up on Sunday morning. We can raise our hands in worship. We can tithe. We can pray once in a while, but is it truly everything you are? assistant or is there of selfishness we repent we repent if we've been making it more about religion on Sunday than about a lifestyle Holy Spirit speak to hearts and minds today convict us there's not shame or guilt in your conviction there's just hope for the future there's love God I pray that you would just shower your love understanding is a sound mind and clarity give us direction let each and every one of us would walk out of here today with new purpose new passion a new drive to do what you've called us to do to truly step into all that you have for us not just a piece of it not less than full salvation you truly help us enjoy fullness of salvation life and life abundantly Everybody, a minute alone. If you would say that's me, I-, I need to repent. There's some things I've been holding on to. There's some things I-, I maybe haven't been radical enough about. I can feel Jesus calling me to more, to give it up truly, and to step into freedom. If that's you. I'd just like to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? That's me being called to more being called to repent thank you put those down secondly maybe you've never given your life to Jesus in the first place your opportunity to say yes to Jesus. I want to follow him. I am in to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I give him my life. I give him all of me. If that's you today, I'd like to say that to Jesus. Maybe for the first time or it's been a while. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? I want to give my life to Jesus. I am in following him. If you're watching online, you can also text the number on the screen or type I'm in in the comments. We'd love to help you with that decision. Father, we thank you and we praise you for who you are, for what you're doing in this house. We call this house, this home, this church home, a house of peace, a house of hope and freedom praise you for the life change that we are seeing here. Thank you that we are seeing people get free, find hope, find their purpose in you, that you are enabling and empowering people to do your work, to be lights, to be the salt of the earth. Father, we, we call vibrancy, passion, and selflessness out of this house in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fe.church/imn. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.